Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream I wonder how the old folks are tonight Her name was Anne and I'll be damned if I recall her face She left me now knowing what to do Every highway let me slip away on you Every highway Seen better days the morning after blues from my head down to my shoes. Every highway let me slip away, slip away on you. It's lights out and away we go. Podcasting from Studio 2520. Turning in the lounge at 2520. This is tackling the chicane. Now the thing that I call living is just being satisfied. With nowhere and I got no one left to blame. Every highway. So a little Gordon Lightfoot for the fans passed away this past week and uh, just a great songwriter Canadian born good stuff agree agree uh, one of my favorite singer songwriters of the era for sure uh, everyone knows his kind of two big or three hits, I guess. Wreck the Edmund Fitzgerald. Probably his magnum opus. Um, but yeah, someone I kind of delved into a little more like this past year, I guess. So that was always or, uh, a good experience. And uh, yeah, we lost a good one. Yeah, great connection to the Great Lakes area with that particular song back in 75. The Edmund Fitzgerald uh lost at uh, Lake Superior, an iron ore ship, 29 on board, 29 lost. So um, I don't know what prompted Gordon to write that song, but apparently he, you know, connected with that tragedy and good stuff. Yeah, I saw uh Somewhere a, a news channel was covering the story. And, uh, I guess the church that he references that rang the bell 29 times back in the day for the sailors, uh, they rang 30 times this past week, one more time for Mr. Lightfoot. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, nice touch there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, listeners, check the catalog out. I mean, great songwriter, um, fantastic song too. So, yeah, check it sure. out. Uh, maybe I'll just wax a bit poetic. Um, every highway or the highway song is probably better than Edmund's Fitzgerald song, as far as I'm concerned, but. You know, that's just my opinion. Up to you. But uh, both good. Yeah. 
about your weekly music segment from our fearless leader here. We do have quite a bit to get into in this episode. Uh, a lot has happened since we uh, were last on the pod. Uh, not only um, a race for once to talk about for F1, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku, uh, which was offered, you know, something to talk about, which we'll get into. Um, the penultimate Glasgow Derby between Celtic and Rangers in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup is going to be our <coughs> kind of main focus in the soccer side of things. Uh, I do have a couple of other things I just want to bring up in soccer. Uh, a lot of developments in the Premier League as, as well as just some other special topics, I guess. So we will definitely get into that. Uh, Bailey is on the program once again. Sort of a, a mainstay at this point. Let's go. Yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's been a nice addition to the show. Why don't we just kick things off and dive right into last week's Azerbaijan Grand Prix as we are once again in a race week, so we're going to have to balance uh, the week that was and the weekend that will be in Miami. Yeah, so one of the things about doing the show on a Friday is the race was on Sunday, so a uh, little cobwebby yeah. brain-wise with it, but... Um, of note, uh, Esteban Ocon and Nico Hulkenberg start from the pits. Uh, not sure. I'm sure there was it was a penalty based on a technicality, probably. Um, don't know what that was, but you know, uh, Ocon usually tends to have run-ins with the law. It seems like so far this season, so that's pretty much on brand. Um, we talked about it last show because we were privy to the knowledge, but I think the big storyline going into the race was Charles Leclerc on pole for Ferrari. And uh, he you know, started on pole and raced the first, I don't know, three or four laps well. And uh, obviously this quickly became the Red Bull show. Um, Sergio Perez winning the race, but um, what were your guys' thoughts on the race sort of in a, from a general lens? <clears throat> well, I thought it was a, a really fun race to watch <clears throat> given, I mean, if you take away the fact that Red Bull had a 17 second lead on the entire field for the duration, um, I think we knew that Leclerc was going to get blown out pretty quickly. Uh, it's just a mismatch in the car's ability, but I still think he ran a really good race and he qualified well. It's just, the cars just aren't there and that happens. Um, I think Perez beating Verstappen is humorous to me. I think it's fun. Uh, the fact that just it, like you said, it quickly became the Red Bull show. You know, they were, there was good racing from them all the way around, but I think the, uh, the broadcast did really well, uh, to, f to cover 
the rest of the field instead of just staying on the two cars that were 20 seconds ahead of the rest of the field. So I, th- I think yeah. there was a lot of good action uh, that was covered um, with, you know, Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz. Hamilton was up there. George Russell did really well. Um, who was it? Got kind of gassed out at the end. Was it uh, Hulkenberg? The Haas was in the top yeah, 10. So we can talk so. about that for sure, but another questionable tire strategy decision from Haas, which isn't pretty much on point for them. Yeah, it started on hards where the rest of the field was basically on was on meads. Yeah. And, and a, a fundamental rule of F1 is you have to run two tire compounds. Correct. Uh, so you cannot just slap on guards and never pit. Um, so that's pretty much what happened to Hulkenberg. He was, well, really didn't take his opportunity. Well, Haas didn't take the opportunity because there was a safety car in this race. And, um, while it was early, uh, that could have been, you know. That should have been a box for Meads, mediums yeah. for, for Hulkenberg. I mean, he ran consistently in 10th place, and you could just, it was so, sort of heartbreaking to watch because he was consistent in 10th in the points, and you knew lap after lap after lap that he was going to have to pit at some point. Yeah. And they pitted him the last lap of the race. And then he ends up, you know, 17 positions down or whatever the exact finishing order was. It was Uh, 17th. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a chess match. It's a bit of a dice game, but, yeah, I, I don't understand why Haas let him run in 10th on those hards, knowing that they were going to have to pit for Meads. If they would have pitted mid-race, maybe, okay, so you're going to have some time to make up, but would it have been better for them to pit? Well, that's a that's a great point, because if he pits and they do it right at the right time, in the on the right lap, you lose one, two spots, you know, to put to put Meads on. Like I I think like you said, he was consistently running in tenth, so he's clearly faster than some than, you know, half the field. And you do that earlier on in the race and you give him time to make up for it. You don't wait until the last lap to because I I mean, even on hards at lap, you know, forty something I mean, mediums would get you get you some better times. You get some fresh tires on there. Like, there's so many different factors. I think you just fuck yourself from the start running hards. That's why no one else was doing it. They ran hards, banking on a late safety car, which didn't happen. Um, obviously, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just That's... you can't just hit in the right. middle of the race. That's, that was he a... wasn't running in 10th. You're not running in 10th if you didn't pit. That's like if you just stayed out while everyone else pitted and then you got the lead of the race. You're not the leader of the race, regardless of what the graphic on television says. So it's just another Haas gamble, which 
didn't pay off. But in terms of other stuff that happened, because let's be real, this race kind of sucked. It was boring. I mean... 20 laps in, it was the Red Bull show, obviously. I I thought there was some good strategy between um, Aston Martin and Mercedes, which is quickly becoming the best battle on the grid. These are two, I would say, very evenly matched teams. Um, And I think equally balanced driver teams with Fernando Alonso and uh, Lance Stroll and then Hamilton and Russell. And, you know, Leclerc starts the race well, but we all knew he wasn't going to sustain the lead. Um, Perez started third, actually. So this was actually not against all odds for him to win, but it was against the odds for him to win anytime Verstappen is starting ahead of you. So that was that was nice to see just from a pure competitiveness perspective. And I like that it seems like we're getting an actual battle blooming here for the title, drivers-wise. And I love that. Uh, personally, I would love to see Perez win that battle. Um, I Look, we've talked about how Red Bull is dominant, but Verstappen, to me, is still just not a very likable driver. And, okay, you can glom on to the winners in this series, and if you want to wear your Red Bull gear, that's fine. But I've always... I, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of Verstappen. And I don't know what it is exactly about him. I, I think he's very selfish. Um, you know, we saw last year where he had opportunities to let Perez maybe come by and grab a point. Even in this race, you know, he he knew that he was two and a half seconds behind Perez. And so... All he wants to do is get the fastest lap because it's one more point. He ended up not getting the fastest lap. I believe it was Russell. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, what say you about if... Can you see Perez possibly taking this championship? Um. Maybe I'll leave at, at most. I'm saying maybe, and it's not really a skill thing. Well, I guess kind of. I, st- I still think Red Bull favors Max Verstappen because he pays the bills, uh, he wins the titles. But I don't know, it'll come down to um, as Red Bull continue to go one, two, or whatever. Once they pretty much clinch the constructors, which they will, uh, dare I say, within another four or five races, <laughs> let's be real, um, then they'll maybe go away from team orders um, and hopefully just allow Perez and Verstappen to compete with each other for the title. I still think 
you know, your safe money is on Verstappen. I do think he is a better driver, but with both talented drivers in equally good cars, roughly speaking, I think, yeah, I think there could be a battle here. Well, and I think the Constructors' Championship is going to be interesting this year. I think we're going to see Aston Martin just bulldogging and fighting for that second, possibly third place position in Constructors. Yeah. Um, And that would be, let's face it, to not see a Red Bull Ferrari 1-2 in Constructors, to have them upset that table is going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I would put money on Ferrari to eventually pass both of them, honestly. Terrible start to the season, but they seem to have figured it out in a little bit. I mean, Leclerc podiums in this race and wasn't really challenged by anyone else in the field, besides the Red Bulls, obviously. Uh, he still had over, a, I think, a three-second advantage well, okay, Alonso does get pretty close at the end, but you can't imagine Leclerc was pushing super hard. But with the, with three or four laps to go, he, he's four seconds ahead of Alonso. Um, so I, I do think Ferrari will eventually overtake both. Bailey? No, I agree. No, I agree. Um, <clears throat> he, he, Leclerc even said... Uh, at the end of the race during the interviews and everything, he's like, when you're 15, 16 seconds back from the from second place, uh, you're trying to secure your podium finish. You're not pushing, you know, uh, endangering your tires, your fuel, everything like that. He was just kind of relaxed, chilling back. I think he definitely had a little bit more speed in him. You know, Carlos signs in, in fifth. I think the the t- that team's been doing better i i don't think better is the word i would use than last year they've had some issues (laughs) in the first couple races but like we've always said though when leclerc finishes races he's a contender all they need to do is finish the race so i think it's interesting i i'd like to see like i'd like to see aston martin finish you know top three top you know in the maybe the two spot. I think that'd be cool. Mercedes had their time in the sun. I think they're doing really well, but I think what Aston Martin and, you know, Alonzo and, and stroller doing that, the teamwork that they have and, and that mentorship that's happening in that team, I think it's really good. And I think, I, I hope that that pays off for them. I think it'll be interesting to watch for the rest of the season. Well, it's clear that, um, stroll has improved under Alonzo's hand. Um, Clearly more talented than I may have thought last year, but it's all about, you know, the guidance. And I think they're in a, they're in a Red Bull with different paint. So they got the technical, uh, an engineer from Red Bull who basically slapped the exact same side pods onto Aston Martin. Aero is everything in the series. All the cars can go fast. 
and I'm not trying to take away anything from Stroll or Aston Martin's achievements, but it's a Red Bull with different paint. <laughs> so um, I do think Stroll has improved, and it's only going to help that Alonso is on the team. But I say a lot of this has to do with hardware, I think. Well, and I don't disagree, and I I wasn't quite privy to the uh, technology shared. Yeah, the so there's just so. a little bit. Of, they took the, some staff from Red Bull. I mean, it, as that that happens all the time between the teams, but this happened to be a very pivotal move for Aston Martin. But yeah, to not take away from your point, I. I Lance Stroll has seemed to really flip a switch. I mean, just his, his performances are better. It's obviously not just because Aston Martin's car has gotten a lot better, too. So, yeah. Don't want to take away from that. No. Um, I mean, if you look at constructors' standings, um, Red Bull's way out, and then the next three are within, you know, it's 11 points between Aston, who's in second, um, Mercedes in third with 76 points, and then just, you know, uh, let me do 14. 14, thank you. 14 points. Ferrari's right there in fourth. Um, and then it just dips. McLaren fifth, which is kind of interesting. Alpine sixth. So um, McLaren and Alpine, I think we have to talk. Alpine's performance in this race was terrible. Gasly, nightmarish performance uh, in weekend. Ocon starts in the pits, so I mean, don't yeah, I never have a chance. So there. let me say this about that. I don't know how much longer Gasly's going to be able to perform the way he has um, without maybe shuttling to an, another team or I think he's a good driver technically. Uh, I don't know if it's the car, but Ocon seems to be the lead guy. Yeah. I mean, that was always going to be the case with, with that team. Ocon's the, the, the weathered vet. Uh, Gasly, just looking back at past races so far this season, P9 finish in Saudi Arabia. I mean, neither of them have been good. So No. Gasly's finished ninth the first two races and then has been out of the points since. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just going back to Azerbaijan, I think it's a bit telling that we haven't really gone like through a bunch of incidents because there weren't that many. There, okay, so like Kevin Magnuson uh, gets damage to his sustains damage on the first lap, which seems to happen to him all the time. So I don't know if he just can't stay out of trouble or what. Um, and then the safety car is what pretty much gives Perez the win. So DeVries uh, chucks it into the wall pretty much, and um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh. Yeah, and is out of the race. An uh, another shocking weekend for Nick DeVries. Hopefully, just from his perspective, he can do a little better. Uh, maybe finish a race in Miami. 
on Sunday, but um, Verstappen comes in uh, in pits during the safety car. I'm pretty sure Perez stayed out at that point. Uh, and then obviously they built up the huge lead and sort of the rest is history. Like I said, there was a there was a good battle between Aston Martin and Mercedes, which I think is going to be your kind of source of entertainment for a while here at least. So we, if we talk about driver's standings, we have a very close race. Verstappen versus Perez. It's six points. And if they're going to run away from the rest of the pack, I would love to see, you know, Perez be ahead of Verstappen. You know, if it's going to be a Red Bull finish one, two, every time, then that's where we need to kind of concentrate on. And we'll see what happens. Miami's going to be interesting, I think. Um, not to get to that quite yet. We're going to talk a little bit about what we saw in P1 and 2 today. Uh, challenging track, obviously. And, you know, we saw a lot of cars go off mm-hmm. in a certain certain turn. I think turn three was a lynch point or pin in this particular race. But, yeah, just looking at the driver's standings, um, you know, we're, we've got six points separating Verstappen and Perez, 93 for Verstappen, 87 for Perez, and then Alonso's right there in third. Um, just 17 points out. And then it kind of goes down, down from there. Uh, Hamilton fourth, Sainz fifth, Leclerc sixth. Um, after that, you know, it's just kind of a shit show. But uh, I think this this race this weekend is going to be very interesting. If, it, if those cars... And drivers perform as they did in practice. Uh, we may see a little bit of a tilt. Yeah. So last year, um, it was a Ferrari front row. Uh, I believe it was Leclerc on pole, and Verstappen ends up getting the win. But it was a very good battle between the two last year. We also had a pretty sizable wreck. At Miami last year, I think a McLaren was involved, among others. I believe Lance Stroll might have been involved. Um, so it did think of what you want about the Miami Grand Prix as an event, but it did offer up decent entertainment. And still a very new track for these drivers, only the second time they've they've been here. So I do think it will offer more enter- entertainment than... Um, than Azerbaijan, for sure. Just, yeah, kind of looking at the track layout, uh, Sexter 3 is a huge straight. Um, There's going to be a lot of speed in this race. Um, After that sector, it gets a little bit more complex. Sector 2 is another sort of 
sweeping straight with a little bit of a bend in it, but there will be lots of speed in this race, in this track. Um, first GP last year, 57 laps. Circuit length is pretty long at 5.4 and change kilometers. Uh, distance is going to be 308 uh, from flag to flag. And then the lap rep record is uh, Verstappen last year at a 131.3. So, so I think in practice he there was a, a 127 high from him on an on a, a fast lap, obviously. So I I think we're gonna see that lap record get smashed on during the GP itself. Um I think we would be remiss not to just say uh Logan Sargent, big weekend for him, Fort Lauderdale kid, three oh five. So 20th and 19th in FP2 and FP1, respectively, but don't want to read too much into practice. But you would like to see a, a, a good performance from the hometown kid. Yeah, and the, the qualifying for this race is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, as we just noted, um, this is a little dicey. We, we saw several cars in the wall today during practice. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a reflection of that in qualifying as well. Um, but we'll have to, we'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, I guess to put a bow on F1, if we could maybe go around the horn and maybe a little race win prediction driver wise. Kick it over to Bailey. It's always me first. And you, you know, fucking. You're a data guy. I'm putting you on the spot so it's genuine. I, well, as you know, I, I missed the practice. Yeah. Most of the practices. Um, who did I say last week? Leclerc? <laughs> uh, I think Verstappen's going to win this one as much as nobody wants to hear it. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I, yeah, it's Verstappen. This is it is what it is. I mean, I I'm I'm with that. I think it'd be cool to see Sergio take another one because I think that would cause some real cool issues in the Red Bull team. Because as yeah. we as we've said, Verstappen's a little bit selfish of a driver, uh, and he's got to be feeling some kind of way about uh, Perez pressuring the pit on his car during the the uh or just before the flag right allowing him to to scoop in and then basically secure the yeah. win so i uh, yeah Good i i think what i would like to see is 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 a little bit of bumping a little bit of rubbing and one two three in 305 this weekend there was there was a good amount of contact last year in the race and there were a lot of drivers Charles Leclerc included chucking it into the wall um, Lewis Hamilton got a touch of it Nico Hulkenberg uh, had to leave FP1 early due to putting it in the wall so I think there will be a lot of 
mistakes being made, which should make this interesting. Um, I will go with Verstappen as well. I think he's going to defend his crown. Um, what say you, Dad? Well, I begrudgingly agree that Verstappen probably will win this race. What my bet on is, and this is bold, DeVries will finish in the points. Okay. Um, not possible. Uh, not likely, but you did say it was bold. So. It is bold. It's a bold prediction. And, but... Well, as our Haas, uh, resident Haas guru, <laughs> where are you thinking they're landing? Sadly, um, I just don't have a lot of faith in that particular program right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's strategy-based or driver-based. They're gonna, you're going to see 15th to 17th for both Haas drivers. You think? I, I do. I mean, I would love to see something better. Mm-hmm. If they can figure their shit out. Gunther, if you're listening, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Well, we will just have to wait and see. That's going to be Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Much more favorable start time for us East Coast Americans. Exactly. Which is nice. Exactly. Uh, so looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a good one for sure. So with that, we move on to the soccer segment of the show and I will briefly give some happenings in the world of soccer uh, more specifically stuff that we actually cover on the show but first I would like to highlight Napoli's first Serie A Scudetto championship in Italy's top flight for the first time since 1990 um, when the likes of Diego Maradona were was playing for the club in Naples in southern Italy. Um, Serie A has been dominated by the three northern clubs of Juventus, AC Milan, and Inter Milan. Uh, Juventus had a streak of nine straight titles um, dating from like 2012 to 2020. And then the the Milan clubs broke the streak. And now we have Napoli's third ever Italian title, which is really cool to see. Insane celebrations in Naples. Uh, Obviously a very proud city. Uh, It would if you haven't looked at some of the celebrations online, I would definitely recommend checking that out. So just congratulations to Napoli. I know we don't cover Italian soccer on the show, but definitely should check out uh, Serie A next season. It does offer a lot of entertainment. Um, the, I guess the Premier League update, um, Arsenal played Chelsea over the weekend and pretty much trotted to victory. 
3-0 at halftime for Arsenal. Uh, Chelsea are, have continued just their god-awful form under Frank Lampard. Uh, so I, they're not in any relegation trouble, I don't think, but it has been just a terrible season then. And um, Arsenal, you know, probably not winning the Premier League anymore, but still, it, with this win, we'll keep it interesting. Uh, and then the next day, it was Wednesday at this point, um, Man City played West Ham and were tied nil-nil at half before Nathan Ake's header uh, gave the citizens the lead and they would eventually get the victory, not before Erling Holland broke the Premier League uh, single-season scoring record. So 35 goals in a single season. That's with five matches remaining for Manchester City. So uh, a lot of speculation over last summer about how he could come into the squad. And if he could do it in the Prem, it's always, can he do it in the Prem? Uh, he can do it. 35 goals and counting for Mr. Holland. So we will see. So Man City retain their lead in the top of, at the top of the Premier League. Uh, and then today I was watching the basically the title decider of the Scottish Championship, which is the second tier of Scottish football uh, between Queen's Park and Dundee. And Four goals in 15 minutes in that game to start it off, which was crazy. Queen's Park have a really cool story that maybe we can go into in another episode. But um, it ended 5-3 to Dundee. So they are crowned champions of the second tier, and we will see them in the top flight next season. Uh, but the I guess the main focus of the soccer segment of the show was Celtic versus Rangers in the Scottish Cup semifinal on one half of that semifinal. We know that Inverness Caledonian Thistle will be meeting Celtic in the Scottish Cup final come June 3rd, uh, which you would definitely favor Celtic. But I will say this match, which we know offers a lot of entertainment anytime these two teams play, I think it's safe to say we got that again. Uh, initial impressions from you guys from this match? Fun to watch. Um, I've got notes um, with times. Um, but yes, a very entertaining soccer match to, to watch. Um, whenever Morelos is on the field, the Celtic, there's going to be fun stuff. Yeah, so we had a lot of good, uh, as there usually is, a lot of after-the-whistle tomfoolery between the two teams, some good tackles flying in, which is kind of the, the usual in this particular matchup. But, Bailey, I'll throw it over to you just for some, some overarching thoughts before we kind of go in nitty-gritty i guess yeah of course um my favorite thing about watching this league is how physical it is mm -hmm. um 
and this game, I mean, from the beginning, I, they were letting them play. I mean, there was some, like you said, before the whistle, after the whistle, people were getting hit. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, who's the the guy from uh, the Rangers? Um, it's always causing a big scene. Morellas. Morellas. Yeah, Morellas. Yeah, he, he was always up in people's shit and uh it was just it was a really really entertaining game to watch for i mean obviously because it's celtic and rangers but it just in general and uh it was fun watching rangers goalkeep get, <laughs> get pushed in because i hate that guy yeah he just, just made your made your opinions clear on alan mcgregor it's just, it's just something about your face like if you could change it we'd be good there's nothing else so so yeah i mean this was pretty much what rangers season depended on like to salvage any sort of i don't know pride in this rivalry uh celtic are going to win the league possibly sunday but regardless it's going to happen and then uh, rangers were pretty pitiful in the champions league I pitiful, I mean the worst Champions League team ever. Um, and then in the League Cup final, these two teams met, and Celtic was victorious in that particular match as well. So Celtic are now, after this game, one win away from a domestic treble, which means three trophies and sweep the trophies. Um, they've done that seven times I believe in their history so they're going for eight and Celtic really had a a great time of Scottish football in the past decade or so that wasn't always the case but it is we know quite well this is a very talented team and perhaps a generationally talented team for Celtic And, and this match really just solidified that opinion I would say and we've spoke to this before, but I mentioned as we were kind of watching this match, um, the officiating just kind of off to the side. Yeah. We Not did. really, you know, we saw some cards late in the match because eventually you have to throw one. Yeah. But the whole first half, there was a lot of possible card incidents that, you know, and I, I, I remember asking you, I'm like, why are they not calling anything? Yeah, and, you know, I think a more, I don't know what the word is, maybe entrenched in either of these teams, Van, uh, Van would say that, the refs weren't very good in terms of calling things. I prefer the style of let them play. Uh, there, it's it's the Glasgow Derby. Like there's going to be nasty challenges, and that's not to say they should go unpunished. But it's just we don't need every foul being a booking. And I said, you know, I told you guys when we were watching, refs usually take two stances in this particular match, and that's. I'm going to be very strict and try to keep it under my control or I'm going to let him play and 
and not, you know, be pointed to as someone that influenced the match, which I don't think the referee in this particular match really did that. But going, like, from play-by-play, I guess, Rangers start out the game in 20 seconds with a shot on goal, which Joe Hart has to save that shot from Nico Raskin. And maybe it was a bit of a statement of intent. You would think that Michael Beal, the Rangers manager, in the locker room before the game said we need to get on him early because otherwise, if they strike first, it's going to be very difficult for Rangers to get back into it. And that was sort of like a, you know, a warning shot, I suppose. Several shots on goal for the Rangers and our keeper who just continues to impress me. Good keeper. You know, Joe Hart is probably going to go down as one of the best. Maybe. Top 10, I would say. Celtic are 100 and whatever years old at this point. But, yeah, he has – this is his second season, probably has one more good ride before he kind of hangs it up. He's spent a lot of time down in England, won a few leagues with Man City. So – He's been serviceable, but I, w- I do think uh, Celtic will eventually phase him out. Uh, maybe one more season, like I said. Um, but, yeah, after that Raskin shot, it, it did seem like Celtic really imposed themselves on the game. They were pretty much at full strength. I know we had a, a lot. There were some injury concerns for Celtic heading into it, but Rayo Hatate is able to start as well as Jota, who obviously plays a huge influence on this game. Yeah, so I'm if you don't want to go here exactly, forty second minute was a Jota header from Maeda and that gives us our one nil. Yeah, so that was the integral moment of the match, obviously. This finishes one nil. And it was a kind of a, a weird one because what had happened is there's a collision on the right side of the box. Everyone stops playing except Dyson Maeda, who picks up the ball pretty much and kind of nonchalantly crosses it to Jota, who bangs it home to make it 1-0. And that's, Rangers have a... A running theme in this match, not in this match, but in this matchup, Celtic and Rangers, of just having defensive calamities that gift Celtic goals. And that's happened every time they've played this. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now, and, and you can't, it doesn't get more what the fuck was going on than, than this. I mean, at this point, 40 minutes in, you know they're letting you play. And it, it wasn't anything crazy. He It was like a hip check, shoulder check kind of thing. Guy fell down, and everybody, every single player on the field was like, so this is over, except for your boy, scoops it up. And he scoops it up and takes two two touches to cross it. So it's not like he just magically put it in the air. Uh, he, it took him two touches to cross it, and then... 
uh, Jota was right there, and it's just it's I'm just watching it on repeat. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's very entertaining. Yeah, it it felt like a goal that was maybe not destined to come, but you you do think Celtic were eventually going to score. Not that either team was really creating super dangerous chances, but it did seem like Celtic were kind of in control of the first half. I will kind of backtrack quickly. Um, In the 35th minute, Rangers forward Malik Tillman, who we have sort of interest in as a United States men's national team player, and you know we we do cover that team when they play on the on the podcast. He comes off injured, um, and I just saw on Twitter today that's that's season ending, which can be skewed as looking worse as it is because there's five games left or whatever in the league, uh, four weeks. So that's not doesn't mean it's super long term. But he's actually on loan at Rangers, so they're going to have to make a decision over the summer if they want to buy him, uh, you know, for full, I guess, have full ownership of him, or if they send him back to Bayern Munich in Germany, his parent club. So that they're, uh, that was one of, what, three big injuries in this match. We saw a collision between, uh, I believe it was Barisic, and Alistair Johnston, who was, I mean, an absolute warrior in this match for Celtic. And at first, it, it looked kind of like it wasn't a big deal. And you mentioned when we were watching live that... It was a weak dive. Yeah. You were thinking, was he just looking for contact? You see the replay again. He, his, he swings at the ball, pretty much, and ends up colliding with Barisic and, uh, you know, kicking him, basically. That injury is also going to shut him down for the season as well. Luckily, Celtic are not really in any more high-leverage games. You could argue Sunday, but um, it did seem like towards the end of this, maybe fatigue of just the season and the the ferocity of this match was catching up to some of these players. Yeah, so second half, 51st minute, we have uh, Morales tangle in the box with, um, I have CB here, so yeah. I'm not sure who's CB. Cameron Carter-Vickers. <laughs> I, I made a, a shorthand note. But yeah, Carter Vickers, Morales tangle in the box, and Morales tells Joe Hart to fuck off. Yeah, so Morales has a tendency to do that. Uh, the last game we covered with them against Aberdeen, he made a gesture to one of the players about his maybe lack of length in the regions downstairs. Um, which was funny, I guess, but he seems to be more concerned about um, making remarks than playing football at this point in his Rangers career. He's probably not going to be uh, uh, with the club. He's in his last year of his contract. So he's we'll got see. a he's got a real shitty attitude, is what yeah. it is, and it's not a he does again doesn't have a real likable face. No, so like, like back. 
a few seasons ago, this was a guy that had a shitty attitude but banged in goals like all the time. Yeah, now that makes the sense. Goals have left. The goals have left. The pounds have come on. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. And I'll, I'll, I'll put my, um, I guess, discussion about Rangers after we finish sort of the, the rundown of this one. It didn't take a, a a blind man to see that Rangers definitely put on a lot of pressure to on Celtic in the second half, though. Um, it was a little nervy at times, and you never felt like the game was getting away from Celtic, but there were a number of Rangers opportunities before Celtic really put a stamp on the second half. Yes, yeah, 60, uh, 60th minute. Good save for Hart. Uh, corner kick. Rangers shoot wide. And then four minutes later, Tavernier just way too close off the left post. And it, it could have easily went in. Yeah, so Tavernier is very dangerous with his right foot. And for some reason, Celtic were very lax with their defense of Tavernier in that for instance. And we know he's dangerous from that spot. And he almost makes Celtic pay. Celtic, I think. I think both teams, and I think it's worth mentioning that the Rangers played a really good game. Uh, both teams did, obviously, but I think Celtic actually kind of got a little bit lucky on this one uh, a couple times. I think that they played the best game that they could, and that, like you said, barring a few faults, I think that. They got a little bit l- lucky on a couple of well, those. I mean, forgot to mention the fact that on the same play, Fashion Sakala has basically a wide open net, and he bangs one off the right side of the, he, you know, puts the net. It in the side net. Like, yeah, somehow misses. A, you could drive a truck through the hole that <laughs> was left by the Celtic defense. So I would say that was the only time Celtic really got left off the hook. And I, I don't, I really don't think Rangers, even if they scored that, would have gone on to win. But, I mean, that was the one nearly calamitous effort there from Celtic that definitely would have at least changed the trajectory of the match. After that, it did seem like Celtic were more in game management mode than, like, let's score more goals mode. And you were like, and, well, both of you were saying, you know, can Celtic actually maybe get into the opposing third, maybe put a shot on goal, and that never really happened after the uh, fashion Sakala miss. Nope, it was just clock clock management, safety. Uh, let's win this for the Derby. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, played, it paid off. So I mean, yeah, it's a cup tie. The only thing that matters is winning. You know, it's a knockout tournament. So you, you can't fault Ange Postacoglu and the team for kind of playing that way. It's not going to be a, a Celtic versus Rangers matchup that, you know, you're going to remember in five years or whatever, for sure. Um, I am actually looking at the note I have in the 83rd. Celtic have been terrible, but they have not been broken on defense. 
And then I said Cameron Carter Vicker, player of the match. So that kind of sums up the second half. Maybe terrible was not the right word because I was still in game fan mode, but you know. Yeah. Carter Vickers saves a goal in the 76th. I mean, without him in that six yard box, could be 1 uh, 1. Yeah. And he's just been a brick wall in defense this year. Um, he was playing hurt in that match, too. He's been playing hurt. Um, he will have, well, he already had season ending, which, again, not a huge deal, but surgery on his knee, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so Celtic will not be privy to his services for the rest of the campaign. And honestly, not trying to disrespect Inverness, Callie Thistle, but Celtic... 99 out of 100 times they're going to win that match. So their their season, I guess, is now to Sunday where they can win the league against Hearts, which is going to be a, a, a difficult match. Hearts are always hard to play at Pine Castle. So I, I still you back Celtic to win that. But this this match against Rangers, like I said, is what their season relied on, and it almost solidifies a treble for Celtic. So, a lot of ramifications, as per usual. Yeah, so we are heading up to the band club at PJ McIntyre's. In Cleveland, shout out the Cleveland Celtic Supporters Club. Yes, Jimmy. Um, on Sunday for the big match, just maybe speak a bit about that, the yeah. match. Well, it's going to be a big weekend, I suppose, in, in Scotland and in Britain. Um, Celtic are, can win the league with, I think, anything but a loss. So just avoiding a loss, I'm pretty sure. We're 13 points ahead of Rangers, which, oh, okay, I think we, we would have to win unless Rangers lost. So just go in and win, pretty much, in your, your league champions. Um, so that, that's the situation. And then Hearts, like I said, always difficult to play against at home. Uh, they haven't been great recently, but... We'll see. Uh, maybe the occasion will fire them up a little. Um, Rangers play Aberdeen again. Uh, so the post-split fixtures kind of made it so teams were playing each other like twice in like three weeks. Um, Celtic will play Rangers for the final time of the season the week after. But that game, if we win on Sunday, is not going to matter. Uh, so Celtic... Like I said, kind of have one more big game left of the season, and then it's pretty much party party time, I guess. Yeah. That. So we'll see the gang at PJ's. Yeah, on for sure. We'll definitely talk about that next time around. Uh, I'm sure there will be some Premier League uh, intrigue as well on the next show. And then we also, of course, have the Miami GP 
which we kind of, I think we all are in agreement that should be at least more entertaining than Azerbaijan. So let's hope. For sure. Any parting thoughts, Bailey? No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to go watch the soccer game on Sunday for sure. That sounds like it's going to be fun. So uh, we got soccer, Formula One. Should be a pretty good weekend. So, um, shout out Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske winning for uh, an IndyCar last week uh, at Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, the final race. It is May, folks, which means it's Indy 500 month. That's uh, right. So IndyCar will shift their attention to. Uh, the racing capital of, if not the world, at least America, for Pete's sake. But, well, and uh, we shall be there. Yeah, as per tradition for you. And first for you. Yeah. So we will have a jam-packed show <laughs> after the race. Yeah. Possibly some uh, guest folks in for the post Indy 500 race. Uh, we'll see, but stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, you might, throughout the month of May, just we might ramp up a little bit of the IndyCar coverage as it's something that everyone that listens to this podcast should be watching as well. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all we have for this particular week. Okay. So we shall... As I say, get gone. Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream. Or executive producers. Richard Tanaka. Joseph Armitage. Tad Stanley. Copyright 2023. This has been Tackling the Chicane. We will see you next time. Every highway, let me slip away, slip away on you.